go ahead and turn in your Bibles. It's a good thing to have in church. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Momentarily, we'll be looking at verse 14. I don't know how long I will preach tonight. I, I know only that I am on a very, very special assignment tonight. I may not have this opportunity again. And I have become wearied by preachers and wearied by what is being perpetrated upon a generation as church. I need to say this, and it really, it really doesn't matter tonight if you are pastor or prophet or teacher or evangelist, Sunday school teacher, youth worker, it, it, really, it really doesn't matter. My message to you is the same. We have lost our way. Everything in the kingdom of which we are now a part is diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive to everything in the kingdom which we came out of. The problem is we have adopted the world's standard and through secular humanism adopted that into the church. Now I'm going to make a staggering statement for you and it's this. God did not save you to go to church. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me take it a step further. God did not call you, appoint you, and anoint you to build a church. Oh, now, now we're hitting pay dirt. God called, appointed, and anointed you to proclaim, watch me, the truth. For it is not your silvery tongued eloquence that will set anyone free. That Bible still declares you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Here's our problem. We don't tell the whole truth. The world has been lying well. And I include in that statement the majority of Christian enterprise. We have been lying well. Just come to Jesus. He has a wonderful plan for your life. And we have no earthly idea who we're talking to. The first thing any teacher, any instructor must learn is who the audience is, who are your pupils. And we have missed a generation 
And the problem is when we say God has a wonderful plan for your life, a secularist, humanistic generation looks back at us and says, well, of course he has a wonderful plan for my life. It's all about me, isn't it? I'm going to make a staggering statement. There is only one reason to have a Hammond B3 organ. There's only one reason to have a grand piano. There's only one reason to have a platform, a microphone. There's only one reason to have padded pews and crystal chandeliers. There's only one reason to have a youth pastor and a children's pastor and a music department and an evangelism team. There's only one reason, in fact, for any of us to exist. And it is very simply this. The apex of all Christian endeavor must become to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior that the Lamb of God slain may receive the reward of his suffering. Once we lose sight of that, we have lost our way and have become nothing more than blind leaders of the blind. So I want to speak to you just for a little while tonight on the subject of to tell the whole truth. Here's what I've discovered, a half truth is a whole lie. I'm gonna try this side. Here's what I've discovered, a half truth is a whole lie. I'm gonna try it right up the middle. A half truth is a whole lie. Do you understand that Jesus is our example? How many of you would wave your hand and say, I will attest to that. Jesus is our example. Do you believe he's the apex of our example? Then why is it that he preached 10 sermons on hell to every one sermon on heaven? When is the last time you heard your favorite TV preacher pull out Isaiah chapter five and verse 14? for a text. Words recorded along these lines. Hell hath enlarged her borders and opened her mouth without measure. How is it that we go to our board meeting and we go to our leadership planning meeting And we go to our marketing meetings. And on the way there and on the way back, we pass three porn dealerships where lives are being destroyed. Two state liquor stores where a businessman's gonna get a fifth on the way home and go home and beat one of his children. And our heart is not pricked. And our tears are not wept. And our heart is not broken. And we feel no remorse about a generation headed as fast toward hell as the unlocked wheels of eternity can carry them. And we call ourselves ministers of the gospel. Okay, I'm going to preach a little bit. I'm going to give you an example. Hell is real. I don't care what some slick-haired, shiny-shoed preacher so-called trying to get himself together a little group of people so he can play golf two days a week. Oh, you're quiet. 
I understand it's not chic to talk about hell anymore. But my Bible still says, if you see the wicked man do his wicked deed and you fail to warn him of his wickedness, his blood will I require at your hands. Don't shout me down now just because I'm preaching. Hell is real, say it. Eternity is long, say it. Say hell is real. Eternity is long. Hell is the place of the unrestrained wrath of God. Do you know the only difference between heaven and hell? The material subjected to it. They are both the presence of God. Fire does one of two things. Burns into permanence. Burns out the dross. Purifies into permanence. Or obliterates. That's the reason your Bible said that if you wind up in hell, God will have to give you a new body. He describes it. It's a body fit for destruction. Hell is a place that is real. It has enlarged its borders. It opens wide its mouth. Hell is a place where your veins become nothing more than highways for the hot feet of pain. Not for a day or two, not for a moment, not for an hour, but for the endless ages of eternity. No reprieve, no stay of execution. There are no smiles in hell. There are no prayers in hell. There is nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where the worm dies not and the smoke of their torment, according to your Bible, raises up under the nostrils of God, not for a moment, not for a day, but for the endless ages of eternity. Would you just say that word with me forever? Because if I don't reach your children and if you don't reach your children and they end up in eternity without God, this is their eternal destination. That Bible only promises one of two places, a place called heaven and a place called hell. Hell is a place where your nerves become nothing more than strings upon which the devil will play the diabolical tune of hell's unalterable lament. Hell is a place where men gnaw their tongues for pain. Heaven is a place of reunion. Hell is a place of separation. There are no exit signs in hell. There are no doorways. Heaven has 12 gates. And the Bible says you can go in and out freely, but not so with hell. Dante said it best when he hung a sign over the entrance of the gaping mouth of hell when he said, abandon all hope, all ye that enter here. But you say, Pastor Rod, you're being a little bit dramatic because I know the verse you want me to quote for you. You want me to let me get it out here. You want me to quote John 3.16? Will you allow me to do so? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would just believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. For the son of God, verse 17, came not into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be 
God is absolute love. God is overwhelming love. God is abundant love. God is irresistible love. God is determined love. God is unconditional love. I know that because I know that he is a God of equity. You're awfully quiet. To say that God will not judge the wicked is to disagree with everything in the 1,166 pages of your Bible. If God will not judge the wicked, then wherein lies the reward of the righteous? You're not shouting me down, preachers. Hell is a reality tonight. And you know people that are going there. I know that God is love because God will judge the wicked. Can you say yes? yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. God is severely love. God is inflexibly love. But God will punish sin. Your Bible said that the gospel came to turn them from darkness to light. To turn them from Satan to God. Your Bible says in Matthew 4, they that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death has light sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to... And to say, turn. We must lay the problem at the feet of the, of the pulpit. We must understand that God has got to have some preachers again. Am I stirring anyone? Samuel was such a man. Samuel said, if you will serve the living God, then you must turn and you must put away the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. Samuel was such a man. Samuel stood between heaven and earth and declared to a hellbound generation that there was only one way to make it to heaven, that there was only one answer to the plight of men. Samuel stood without intimidation. Samuel stood without one thought of a return engagement. Samuel stood to declare what God said to who God said it, when God said it, how God said it, close the Bible, walk off the platform, and care less what the biggest contributor to your ministry thought about it. Oh, don't shout me down now. Say, give us a preacher. Give us a preacher. No, you don't mean it. Say, give us a preacher. Samuel stood as God, in the place of God, for God. It's no wonder that children mock preachers. They spend their days watching Saturday Night Live, where everything about God is mocked. God return us to the days when like I did, when the preacher stood at the back door of our little building, my parents knew to sit down in the pew until everybody had left the building because they would find me wrapped around the legs of that preacher. He was my hero, not some NBA star with three women in four different cities with children by every one of them. Okay, you don't want me to preach. You wanted, you wanted something else. You wanted... 
Samuel said, I represent God. I would to God that we would have some men and women stand behind a sacred desk with that kind of a posture that they understand I came to represent a God who has been insulted, who has been abandoned, who has been ridiculed, who has been denied, and who has been called a liar. And I've come here today to represent him. Somebody just, just engage me and say, preach, preacher. Come on, somebody say, preach, preacher. Somebody shout, you got to turn. You got to turn from darkness to light. You don't believe God will punish the wicked? Why doesn't Eden prophesy to you? How about Sodom? Does that prophesy to you? How about Ananias and Sapphira falling dead in the book of Acts because they lied to the Holy Ghost and had the audacity to walk into the pool, into the, into the pews. My God, we've got far worse than that. Walking into the pulpit and making out like they're preaching when they're inebriated with alcohol and watch pornography the night before. Oh, don't shout me down now. Say, give us a preacher. Here's a verse for you. Let me give you a text for next Sunday morning. You ready? Okay, this will grow your church. Psalm 7, verse 12. If you turn not, God has wet his sword. What? What? If you turn not, God has wet his sword. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know where you're from. I'm from eastern Kentucky. And the old men used to sit on the corner in Warfield, Kentucky, right across the bridge, across the Tug River over to Kermit, West Virginia. And the men used to sit in the bow of the road there. And they had a bench and they would take out their pocket knives because they would whittle. And then they would sell the little things that they had whittled. And I learned at a very early age what a whetstone was. A whetstone is an Im implement with which one sharpens his knife. Well, pastor, now I've just got to tell you, if we go to preaching like that, people won't come. Really? Let every preacher in this room stand up when I say three. One, two, three. Every preacher in this room stand up when I say three. One, two, three. Now, if your church is bigger than the amount of people that are in this room right now, you can stay standing. They won't come, huh? The real ones will come. The sold out ones will come. God didn't call you to gather everybody together. God didn't call you to get a crowd. God called you to preach the gospel, the whole gospel, the whole truth, absolute truth, and nothing but the truth. Would you say amen? Look at that, I gotta hurry. God has wet his sword. He has sharpened his sword. He has drawn his bow. He has made ready. Boy, you just don't hear preaching like this, do you? 
He has made ready his instruments of death. And he has ordained his arrows against the persecutors. The, act, the actual translation is, he has made his arrows flaming shafts. God must be absolute love because he will judge the wicked. Can you say yes? Shout turn. Here's the answer. Turn from the darkness. Run, 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 run to the light. God so values freedom that he gives you the opportunity to choose against him. It was 1908. Construction had begun on the largest moving vessel ever created with human ingenuity. It weighed 46 tons. You could put three football fields on its main deck. Her Majesty's Titanic. Oh. Construction was finished in 1914. And on April the 10th, 1914, it was loosed from its moorings in Southampton, England, on its way to France and then on to Ireland and then to continue its journey. On April the 14th, Ed Smith, the captain of the Titanic, who was on board for his final voyage before his retirement, was given six warnings. Do you have that piece of paper? Do you have that piece of paper? I just pulled this off the internet before I walked in. The Titanic was warned six times. I wonder how many times you've been warned. That Bible still says, my spirit will not always strive with man. That Bible says, harden not your heart, lest you be cut off, and that without provocation. That Bible still says, the wages of sin is death. When's the last time you preached it? But the gift of God is eternal life. That Bible still says, sin when it is finished, it's like a mouthful of gravel. Excuse me while I give you the whole truth. That Bible still says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. When's the last time you preached that? Six warnings came. Turn! Six warnings went unheeded. Tomorrow, another day. 
This makes me uncomfortable. I don't think I can grow my church with that. Well, I think God loves me, and I think I'm a good person. Preacher, something is wrong in America when 90% of the people walking the streets proclaim that they believe in a living God, and only 40% proclaim, 50% proclaim they believe in a literal heaven, and only 4% proclaim they believe in a literal hell. We're not preaching the whole truth. You think because you walk around with a pair of ripped jeans and a ball cap on backwards and a leather choker around your neck that you're cool. You're backslidden. You're trying to do that because you saw some cat on TV that had a big church. And you think if you do what he did, you'll have a big church. Maybe you wouldn't want what he's got. The choice is yours. But I'm here to tell you tonight that if God Almighty has put his hand on your life to preach the gospel and all you're doing is feeding a bunch of bloated sheep, you ought to repent. When's the last time you spent a night walking around in your church building crying out, God, give me souls lest I die? When's the last time you had a prayer meeting around the altar instead of laying hands on people for prosperity, you laid hands on them? God, make them miserable until they get right with you. I gotta hurry. I gotta hurry. I said I gotta hurry. The heating, the warnings went unheeded. Nobody was listening. Nobody was listening. They didn't want to hear that message. They had closed their ears. What can bring us down? What can sink us? Six times the warnings came. Perhaps the leaders never carried on the communication. Perhaps they didn't want to startle anyone. Perhaps they didn't want anybody to become uncomfortable. Perhaps they just wanted everybody to go along having a good time. April the 14th, 11.40 in the evening, Titanic struck an iceberg 78 miles long, ripped a hole in her side. At 2.20 on April the 15th, she was gone. They put up a, they put up a sign, 
2,228 souls were on board. They put up a placard. That placard had simply two words, saved, lost. Can I tell you tonight there are only two kinds of people? Saved and lost. 2,228 souls were on board. 1,553 were lost. 705 were saved. Which side of the line are you on? The Bible declares that in that day God will call his sheep together. He will say to those on his right hand, Enter in my good and faithful servant to the joys prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If everybody gets in, what are you going to do with this verse? I'm trying. I feel folks getting uncomfortable. I'll tell you what America's about to see. They're about to see preachers once again preach the whole gospel. They're about, the pulpits are about to ring once again with the wrath of God and the warning of judgment to come. Men in the pulpit are going to throw their alcohol away and get rid of their girlfriends. And souls are about to come. There's about to be a mighty breath of God. To those on his left hand, he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. There is a great dividing line. Not all those that say, Lord, Lord, in your name, didn't we cast out devils? Depart from me. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from the other as the sheep divides, shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then shall he say to those on his left hand, Depart from me. Can you imagine it? Depart from me. Depart from life. Depart from light. Depart from energy. Depart from help. Depart from hope. Depart from joy. Depart from blessing. Depart! And uh, then he continues, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared, not for you, but for the devil and his angels. And these shall go away. And I'll remind you, these words are in red in your Bible. 
into everlasting punishment. There's a little creature in England. It's, it's very, very valuable for its coats. Its fur is sewn together to make beautiful garments. They're very easy to catch. They, they run all over the countryside. You can just go out and pick them up. because they're born blind and so they spend their lives in total darkness but a very unusual thing happens when they harvest those little creatures they take them and they hit them on the top of the head with a wooden mallet and for the first time in their life in death their eyes come open What side of the line are you on? What, what, what side of the line are you on? What side of the line are your children on? What side of the line is your church board on? What side of the line are the people that sit in your churches on? Are we going to be satisfied to stand in judgment and have people that we have loved and ministered to week after week after week say, you could have told me. And now I'm here in this horrible place. You could have told me. Instead, you fed me cappuccino and hot dogs. Your Bible says there was a rich man fared sumptuously every day and a beggar named Lazarus that laid by his gate full of sores and the Bible said that both of them died and in hell the rich man lifted up his voice and said I would that you would take that leprous beggar named Lazarus and allow him to dip his finger in water and touch it to my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. What are we doing? What are we preaching? What are we building? I'm going to give it to you and that's it. And I saw a great white throne. And he that sat upon it from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead in them. 
and death and hell delivered up the dead in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Make no mistake about it, my dear brother and sister. There is a day coming when the black hairs on the head of damnation are going to grow white with horror. There is coming a moment when the highway systems of whatever city you're from are going to flap in the breeze like a ribbon in, the, in a noonday breeze. There is coming a time when the seas are seething and the world is dying and the moon is bleeding. The seas are seething under the whiplash of fury to spill their dead in the lap of God. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you can't read. Well, I'm offended by this. Well, then you're offended by Jesus. You can't make Jesus what you want him to be. It's not what you want. He's not an idol. You can't construct him into what you'd like and the lifestyle you'd like to live. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.